I think the societal pressure contributes to the internal pressures. You start to question everything you're doing a lot more from how big you are to how much your bump's growing, all of that sort of stuff. That's where society's judgment comes in. And actually last week I was at an event and someone came into the room and was like, oh, I didn't know you were having twins. And I was like, oh, uh, I'm not having twins. I think my bump's just growing this week. And it was really awkward. And I was on the train back home and I was thinking, is my bump too big? Like, should I measure it? Like, should I check that it's not too big? And you do start to really question things like that. And I don't think I would have questioned that quite as much had it not been for comments like that. We have all of these unsolicited comments, unsolicited remarks about our bodies around the food sides, around what we should, should be eating, about how much we should be eating. And everyone, for some reason, thinks that they're suddenly like an expert in pregnancy when you're pregnant. Even if they've never had a child, they're automatically the expert. And it's really difficult. And I think that then unintentionally creates that additional narrative in your head where you're kind of like, are my behaviors normal? Is what I'm doing okay? And it just adds another complicated layer to it. And I don't think that is just people with eating disorders. I think it's a pressure that everyone feels probably in pregnancy where you're, you're trying to look this kind of perfect way and you don't, and you don't look exactly like everyone else is looking. And, and it's hard then not to be in that comparison factor where you're comparing your bump size to everyone else's bump size. And, and in that, I guess I've had to be very careful particularly on things like social media, to not spend hours doing that comparison because actually it's just not helpful for me and it fuels a lot of the eating disorder thinking in my brain. Having a baby is meant to be the most joyful time of your life, but for many mums and dads, it can be the hardest and at times the darkest of places. Welcome to season two of Blue Mum Days, the podcast for anyone struggling with parenting. All the stories shared here are from the heart. These are real conversations and may be triggering, so please listen with discretion. Today's episode covers disordered eating. We will also signpost you to help in the show notes. Thank you. This episode was recorded during the spring of 2022. Today's guest is Hope Virgo. Hope is an author and multi-award-winning campaigner for people with eating disorders. Through her talks, Hope helps young people and employers deal with the rising tide of mental health issues. Hope is also a recognized media spokesperson and has published two books, including bestseller, Stand Tall Little Girl, documenting her eating disorder journey. Hope's third book, You Are Free, is out in May 2022, which tackles issues around mental health and faith. In 2018, Hope launched the hashtag Dump the Scales initiative, which called on the government to stop using BMI as the primary measure to determine whether someone with an eating disorder would qualify for NHS support. Her petition generated over 116,000 signatures and was delivered to number 10 Downing Street. The hashtag Dump the Scales campaign, which put eating disorders on the government's agenda, has gone from strength to strength, making change happen on a national scale. Hope is currently navigating pregnancy, which is the perfect time for us to chat. Congratulations, Hope. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. How's everything going with the, the pregnancy? How are you feeling at the moment? 
yeah, it's quite, uh, honestly, it's quite overwhelming in places. I think it's been a real mixture of kind of, yeah, real excitement, but also feeling quite scared. And I think apprehensive as well about what's going to happen. And I think particularly being in recovery from an eating disorder throws in a whole other kind of spanner into the works with it. Yeah, it certainly makes things more more complicated. I think as a mum going through pregnancy anyway and experiencing the change in your body is quite overwhelming at times and also can affect your confidence when you're coming from a place of wellness. But having also gone through um, eating disorder myself, I had anorexia for 10 years, which is something that I I don't talk about, actually. I, I feel much more comfortable talking about PND than my eating disorder. You know, for me personally, I found it very tricky to navigate. Do you mind telling us a little bit about your your experience with that? I mean, I don't want to trigger anything, but just for people to gain a perspective on, on where you were coming from. Yeah, no, definitely. So I developed an eating disorder when I was about 12, 13 years old and lived with it for about four or five years before anyone did anything about it. I'm only 31, but back when I was growing up, no one talked about eating disorders and kind of mental health as much as we do nowadays. And no one really knew the signs to be looking out for with it. Um, But at the time for me, the eating disorder was this real coping mechanism to life. It gave me this real value and sense of purpose, kind of distracted me a lot, numbed a lot of emotions and basically just gave me what I needed out of life at that time. Um, Eventually kind of fast forward through that kind of four or five years and I was diagnosed. Um, I ended up being admitted to a mental health hospital where I spent a year in recovery. So learning a lot about food, exercise. um, But really the biggest thing for me was learning to understand about the eating disorder and what it was kind of doing for me and how to find other ways of coping with life. Um, And then, yeah, kind of ever since I came out of treatment, I've been in a kind of stage of ongoing recovery. I believe that people can fully recover from an eating disorder and really do believe that. I think for me, I've had moments in the last kind of 13 years where things have felt really, really great, where I thought I was fully recovered. Then I've had those moments where things have felt slightly harder. Um, And I've definitely had those moments when I've just kind of settled and kind of thought, actually, this maybe is just what it's about. Maybe this is where I'm going to get to. And so for me, it's about kind of constantly pushing myself and challenging myself to just, yeah, to kind of get rid of all of those food beliefs, to stop using food as a coping mechanism. And I think that's where, in a way, the pregnancy gets slightly harder because, yes, we're told what we should and shouldn't be eating. We're told that we should be putting on a certain amount of weight, but not putting on too much weight and Everyone feels like they can comment on what you look like when you're pregnant, which is just, I don't, I still don't really understand why that's seen as okay. But I think on top of that, you're also sitting with so many more kind of heightened emotions. There's so much uncertainty about what's going to happen. And so for me, in those periods of uncertainty, in those periods of high emotion, my automatic reaction is, oh, I'll just go back to those behaviors that Mm -hmm. I did with eating disorder and with exercise, and it will make things feel okay. And I know for me, I'm in a space now where I can be like, actually, do you know what? Although it's good in the short term to do that, it makes me feel better. In the long term, it doesn't solve anything. But it does mean that I've had to learn over the last kind of decade or so to become so much more vocal in pretty much everything and everything I'm feeling on a day to day basis. Gosh, you've covered so many important points there. (laughs) Um, And I'd love to talk more about how everybody feels they have a right to 
comment on your body when you're pregnant and touch your body when you're pregnant and I'm sure I was probably as guilty of that before I had my son as anybody but I think one of the the very important things that you just raised there in talking about your own experience is how that there's a misconception that eating disorders are about vanity mm-hmm. and about sort of looking thin that there is that element about sort of um the aesthetic but I know for me it was much more about control mm-hmm. being able to control something in my life it was the one thing that I could feel I had a grip and a handle on was that the same for you or what what did it stem from yeah so um for me it was yeah for me it was mainly around like kind of yeah getting that certainty over situations but numbing emotions and numbing things I didn't want to feel um mine stemmed I think predominantly um from kind of family situations at home kind of not really being able to navigate those I was also sexually abused um when I was 12 years old and I think when you go through like some form of abuse you're often left with these feelings that there's something kind of categorically wrong with you and so you try and change that but I don't think that you have to go through abuse to feel that way about yourself. I think it could be that you don't see yourself presented on social media or that someone makes a nasty comment to you, or maybe you don't, I don't know, live up to the expectations of your family or you're in comparison with your siblings, anything like that can make you feel like there's something the matter with you. And because of all of those feelings around it, I was like, I have to try and change this thing about me. And it's really interesting, I think, because what, like what you've mentioned about the kind of vanity and I do think a lot of people in society think that it is all about that but it, it gets really complicated because I know for me mine wasn't about that and it wasn't about body image but then for some reason the body image aspect becomes so intrinsic to the whole of the illness yeah and so yeah. it's then you're trying to understand I don't really care about what I look like but yet why am I fixating on this and then it's like unpacking all of that and then because society tells you oh it's because you're vain it's then like you then start to question that and you're like maybe that is what it is maybe it's nothing else and so it kind of creates this weird kind of whirlpool of emotions around all of these different situations and it's it's confusing yeah and there's a lot of shame and guilt involved with those those things Mm. so hope I, I recently saw some incredibly shocking statistics about pregnant women and eating disorders and I think this is a a great point to sort of open up more about your experience of navigating pregnancy after an eating disorder but that 16% of pregnant women have experienced an eating disorder so that's you know that's a surprising statistic and 50% of those women will relapse within a year of delivery so this is actually it's serious stuff And if I'm not mistaken, eating disorders can have the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. So this is something that there needs to be much more discussion about and much more openness. And that's why I admire you so greatly in in changing the narrative and actually raising it in the way that you've been doing in such a a vocal and and effective way. Yeah, I think, um, I think, yeah, I thank you. Um, I love, yeah, I love what I do. Um, it's a hard work, but I do love it. But I think, I think it's, I think it's really scary, actually. And I think what makes it even more scary with things like pregnancy and eating disorders is 
of those 16%, I'm sure there are like thousands and thousands of other people who don't look like they have an eating disorder. So then get completely dismissed in that moment. Um, and again, because of the shame and the guilt that often comes with it, again, people won't be honest, people won't talk to their kind of team about it, or they might have tried to talk to their team about it. And then because they don't fit into that mold, or maybe they've never been taken seriously, then their kind of consultant team within the kind of antenatal unit might again not take them seriously. And I think often then when you do have a baby, you then kind of, yeah, you're, I guess you are, you're so wrapped up in it that maybe you start putting that child first, which obviously you, you should do to some extent, but at the same time, we have to make sure that we're managing our mental health and actually making sure that for people who are pregnant, there is that full package of support available, not just during pregnancy, but actually afterwards. Definitely. And I was thinking about it like recently for myself, actually, I know, I know that I can get through the pregnancy, even if it's really hard, because I've got this kind of goal, there's an end date, um, not 100% sure what I'll be, but there is an end date in sight. Um, and but it's that bit afterwards, where you're kind of like, actually, what what's that going to happen? What's going to happen to me? Like, are things going to be okay? Is the baby going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? And I think it's in that bit, immediately afterwards, where maybe you're kind of lacking the sleep, where everyone's really excited for you and then maybe you're not feeling as excited that you then start to really question what's going on what am I going to do and I think again a lot of the messaging particularly after birth around breastfeeding and everything like that it then again adds that additional pressure onto you and a lot of the messaging around breastfeeding is around calories and around weight which not I don't I don't actually think that's a helpful narrative for anyone but again if you've had an eating disorder it adds a different kind of kind of spanner into that conversation and probably will add to a lot of the guilt than if you can't actually breastfeed. Yeah. The breastfeeding topic is something that we talk about a lot on this podcast because it is absolutely wonderful and, you know, so good for the baby. Well, for both mum and baby, if you can manage it, but there is so much pressure put on women and actually it's not as easy as you're led to believe mm. and there is a lot of women who feel a massive sense of failure if they aren't able to breastfeed successfully and I think you know having sort of compassionate and nurturing support for feeding whatever you do and whatever you choose to do or whatever you're able to do it's all good you're yeah. nurturing your baby so with your team your perinatal team do you have support put in place for that aftercare period um if I'm honest I'm not 100% sure <laughs> yet so it's been it's been quite an interesting one um to navigate so far so when I when I found out I was pregnant obviously I rung my doctor mainly because I didn't actually know what you're supposed to do in that situation and then did my referrals and stuff like that to the local hospital and it was in my first kind of consultation, I guess, with my midwife that they went through all my back history, things like that. Um, at which point, um, because of my history, I was flagged as being someone who would probably benefit from the mental health support. The first time I tried to access the support, I wasn't able to get it, which was kind of right at the start of the pregnancy. I think obviously the system was massively overrun and I wasn't seen as someone who needed it at that point. Um, but then have had, again, had another assessment recently, and I'm actually able to now qualify for that support, which I'm very, very grateful for. But a lot of it is kind of conversations up until the pregnancy. And then for me, I've had to really start to think, actually, what am I going to need afterwards? Um, so I think in some sense, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky because I 
I've had a lot of treatment in the past before. So I kind of know roughly what I need. I don't know what it's like to have a baby or anything like that. But I know that actually for me, I need to have some social occasions in every single week. I need to have some sort of peer support and a space where I can just go and be myself. And if I'm finding things hard, be really honest about it. So I've had to start looking actually at how I can set that up on my own. I'm based in Bristol and actually here there is near where I am. There are a couple of charities that do offer that kind of support straight after pregnancy. So I've already kind of emailed those and tried to sort that out. But a lot of it is that unknown um, Mm -hmm. and the unknown of actually what what will happen afterwards. Yeah. How much support will I get? And it's interesting because I was speaking recently to other people about it. And um, I know in some situations you can get kind of or definitely in the past, at least you had health visitors that would come and see you quite frequently. But for some reason where I am, that doesn't happen that much. So again, it's learning, I guess, to navigate that and feeling okay, calling on people that maybe are friends and family and who know what's going on for me and know how I've been feeling and things like that. And actually being confident to utilize that. At the start of the pregnancy, the best piece of advice actually someone gave me was you have to be pushy and put yourself first in this. So I've spent a lot of the kind of last month or so trying to be really vocal about what I need to my team. I think that is so important. I think that will resonate with so many mums out there, especially those who have have given birth or are pregnant through the pandemic, because I think because of COVID, what was already a very stretched resource in terms Mm. of health visits and midwives, it's even more so. And you're not having that sort of face-to-face care and support so I think what you're saying there about being your own advocate and really flagging up and sort of really pushing for support is such an important one and it's one that sometimes doesn't come naturally to us as as women to be so vocal but I I think that's so important and I think it is really awkward and really uncomfortable and I think again if you if you've had an eating disorder or you have an eating disorder and it wasn't picked up during your pregnancy or you didn't feel like you could talk about it again and maybe because you don't look like you have an eating disorder always comes back to that really sort of that kind of physical element of it I think in that sense again you have to make sure that you are really pushy and know that you really deserve it and it's it feels really uncomfortable and it's hard as like you said to kind of advocate for yourself but the more we get into doing it actually the more chances we have at kind of setting ourselves up for success Definitely. And um, I was just going to alert people to if anybody's experiencing this as they're they're listening, the Maternal Mental Health Alliance have put out a blog from Abigail Reynolds of We Are Wednesday's Child, which also talks about these issues. Mm. So I would would definitely um, suggest you read that. And if you could give me the information of the the organisations that you've reached out to, I can put those in the show notes as well. You make a very, very good point there. And I know it's something that with the Change the Story campaign, you're shining a light on this, is that actually you don't have to look extremely thin to be suffering from an eating disorder. And I think, again, that's a a myth, isn't it? Yeah. And actually, statistically, we know that only 6% of people with an eating disorder will ever fall into the underweight category. So that's this kind of 94% cohort of people who will never fit into that stereotypical mould. And it's, it's really frustrating that for some reason in society, we still are stuck on this image that eating disorders only affect thin people. But I think, again, also that idea that eating disorders only affect white teenage girls when actually we know that more and more adults are being affected. And 
just because someone gets pregnant, it doesn't mean the eating disorder is going to miraculously go away. Actually, yes, in some situations, it does really help people. And we hear stories all the time of people who make a full recovery straight after pregnancy, which is which is amazing. But actually, for a lot of people, they have to go through all of these mixed emotions around it and keep striving for that kind of recovery process as well. And I think because we often think eating disorders are something that someone grows out of because there's so much stigma around it. It means that people are so often just hidden in plain sight, just suffering on a day to day basis. And particularly, I think when you're pregnant, you don't you're not you're not going to look like you have an eating disorder because you're pregnant. So, again, it makes it harder to even qualify for treatment and support in that sense. And have you found when you did reach out for help, did you find the support was empathetic and truly understanding of what you were going through in terms of your eating disorder or do you think there's still a lot of education within the health service that needs to be done yeah it's it's been really really mixed if I'm honest so uh the first kind of midwife that I saw was really really good and asked all the right questions and I thought she was brilliant actually the second one I saw and just because of how my appointments have fallen I've not had the same person um wasn't wasn't as good I think she didn't really fully understand it and told me that I should be exercising more to kind of curb the anxiety around the pregnancy. And I was like, that's probably not really what you say to someone who's had an eating disorder (laughs) to tell them to go and do some more exercise. So it has been very mixed. And I think there's still a lot to do. And I think quite often a lot of the messaging that we're given and a lot of the messaging that I've been told kind of unintentionally kind of pushes eating disorder culture and that narrative around it, normalizing a lot of our behaviors when actually I think there probably needs to be a lot more education across all frontline staff. But again, because we're talking about pregnancy today, particularly across kind of the midwives and in that follow-up period as well, to make sure that people have a full understanding of eating disorders. I actually think that we should probably be screening Mm, every single parent that comes in, whether they've had a diagnosis or not, they need to be screened on their behaviours towards food in their body. Because the the other thing with eating disorders is... It's something you can't get away from. In order to live, you have to put food in your body. So it's something that you're having to battle with every single day. How have you found it navigating eating? And have have you had to change your eating habits because you're pregnant? Yes, I only found out kind of week seven or eight I was pregnant. So I had this kind of weird two months when I was pregnant, not feeling great, but not really sure what was going on. So I was kind of quite dismissive about it. When I found out, I think my body then kind of let itself into all of the cravings that I was having. And I felt I had really bad morning sickness from probably week six, right up until week 12. Um, Yeah, which was weird not knowing I was pregnant and having really bad morning sickness because I was like, what is the matter with me? Yeah, Yeah, I thought it was really, really odd the whole thing. But um, I just, I guess just a caveat that I grew up in a family where people, we just, if you were sick, you went to school. It was one of those things. I kind of just got on with it. At that point, I really let myself actually have what I was craving and ended up having a lot of kind of, yeah, really carby stuff, kind of really dry stuff, just because I was like, actually, this is what my body needs. But yeah, like since then it has been slightly challenging. So I actually did look at the meal plan that I'd been given kind of a couple of years ago and spoke to a nutritionist a dietitian uh, about what I should be eating like what would be helpful to eat and for me a big thing was actually educating myself on what the baby needed 
um, so that I could make sure that actually I was giving him what he needed in, in the moment. Um, because I thought that would really, really help me to really kind of challenge things and to kind of get rid of a lot of unhealthy behaviours that maybe I still had. And then I guess after that, yeah, like it's been hard. I think I went to um, the States a couple of weeks ago and obviously the food rules in the States for pregnancy are very, very different. And then trying to navigate that, but also navigating kind of eating out and on a lot of the packets of food in the States, they have just random stuff written, which makes you then question it. Mm. Um, so I think it's been quite, I've had to be very conscious that I'm not adding in extra food rules and kind of hiding them as food rules for the baby, but actually being like, no, this is something that I can't eat because I'm pregnant. And kind of, if that makes that sense, kind of making that distinction between kind of eating disorder rules and pregnancy rules, which I think is hard. I think also with the food aspect, um, and you'll probably know this better than I do, but you're told, I think, to eat a little bit more in your third trimester. So it's like, again, trying to navigate that and basically just trying to really listen to my body and listen to what I need in those moments, as opposed to kind of sticking to stuff quite religiously. I think you're absolutely right when you say about sort of all these additional rules that are kind of you're bombarded with when you're pregnant. And I think there's so much pressure from society when you're pregnant. It feels like everybody has a right to judge you, judge the size of your bump, how much weight you're putting on around your bump, whether you are or not, you know, your bump's either, oh, aren't you big or oh, you're tiny, you're really tiny. And also this judgment on how much food you're eating, the types of food you're eating. There used to be messages about eating extra. And then in the last few years, there's been, oh, no, you mustn't. That's a myth. You mustn't eat extra because you're going to put on too much weight. And again, that, that pressure about snapping back, I think was it Victoria Beckham was supposedly on a treadmill about two days after she gave birth to I can't be healthy that cannot be healthy I mean for a start you've got your core muscles your stomach muscles separate when you give birth so you're not allowed to exercise for a while anyway <laughs> that's crazy but um yeah I mean do you, do you feel that societal pressure or do you feel most of your pressure is internal pressure I think the societal pressure contributes to the internal pressures um and I think part of that is you start to question everything you're doing a lot more. And I know for me, yeah, from how big you are to kind of how much your bump's growing, all of that sort of stuff, that's where society's judgment comes in um, more so than for me. And actually last week I was at an event and someone came into the room and was like, oh, I didn't know you were having twins. And I was like, oh, uh, I'm not having twins. I think my bump's just growing this week. And it was really awkward. And like, I think... I made a bit of a joke about it afterwards, the people that I was with, and I don't think it really hit home until kind of that evening. And then I was on the train back home and I was thinking kind of like, is my bump too big? Like, should I measure it? Like, should I check that it's not too big? And you do start to really question things like that. And I don't think I would have questioned that quite as much had it not been for comments like that. And I think it's like, I guess, similar to what I said with the midwives, it's like, we have all of these unsolicited comments, unsolicited remarks about our bodies around the food sides, around what we should, should be eating, about how much we should be eating. And everyone, for some reason, thinks that they're suddenly like an expert in pregnancy when you're pregnant. Even if they've never had a child, they're automatically the expert. And it's really difficult. And I think that then unintentionally creates that additional narrative in your head where you're kind of like, 
and my behavior is normal is what I'm doing okay and it just adds another complicated layer to it and I don't think that is just people with eating disorders I think it's a pressure that everyone feels probably in pregnancy where you're you're trying to look this kind of perfect way and you don't and you don't look exactly like everyone else is looking and and it's hard then not to be in that comparison factor where you're comparing your bump size to everyone else's bump size and and in that I guess I've had to be very careful particularly on things like social media to not spend hours doing that comparison because actually it's just not helpful for me and it fuels a lot of the eating disorder thinking in my brain. Definitely I think so many women out there listening to this will it, it, this will resonate with them irrespective of whether they've had an eating disorder or not I think if you have an eating disorder it sort of puts a whole other level of overthinking and shame guilt narrative on the top of that yeah um, but I do think women as a whole absolutely are affected by comparison and that doom scrolling mm. when you're looking at social media feeds and everybody looks perfect <laughs> and yeah you're I think it was episode two with an incredible lady called Emily Goldhill and she was talking about her experience of having a baby during the pandemic and she was saying you know everywhere she looked it was images of this wonderful glowing pregnancy and yet she was feeling anything but glowing she felt just dreadful awful <laughs> it's funny isn't it it's I don't know where those images come from or what people or what people do to get those images I don't know it fascinates me because I'm like that's not what it's like yeah yeah and we all know that's not what it's like but yet we put pressure on ourselves to be like that and you're like this is just ridiculous yeah, even seeing Rihanna turning up at events, you know, looking fabulous in, in her pregnancy, but wearing next to nothing. And mm. and you just think like, oh, should I, should, you know, <laughs> should I be looking like that? And you forget that she's probably got a team of tens of people mm. behind her making her look that good. And, yeah, that's true. You know, we, we're just seeing the highlights reel, not the behind the scenes. Mm. So you're in your second trimester now? Yeah, I'm week 24 and a half. Yeah. So do you have an eating plan that you sort of adhere to to give yourself comfort or are you trying to avoid putting those restrictions on yourself? Yeah, so I did. I do have one um, in place that gives me, yeah, some sort of structure and routine around it. Um, but I try and not stick to it religiously. So not from a kind of like restriction perspective, but I try and yeah, like if I need something, I'll have it or I vary it up throughout the day. So it's less regimented, which I think for me was a really important factor. I'd spent when I went into hospital, I spent a year on a meal plan and it took me such a long time to get away from that and become, I think like in treatment, you just become so institutionalized that it becomes safe. And so because I didn't want to be like that again, um, I've had to be really proactive and being like, actually, do you know what? I need something now or I'm not I'm not hungry yet or I am. It's it's hard, though. And I think particularly when you're pregnant, it feels harder to do that because you're kind of second guessing a lot of stuff. But a big thing for me throughout, I guess, a lot of this has been making sure that I'm adding in a huge amount of variety into my diet where I can. And yeah, making sure that I'm still challenging it and pushing myself. And I think one of my big motivations, even actually during the pandemic, was I wanted to start to challenge my eating a lot more so that I could go out and have cake and pastries and lunches last minute with my children. And 
now this is kind of here and it's happening I'm like actually do you know what it's a driver to to do that even more because I don't want to be someone who can't do that with my kids yeah and I think that's a whole other sort of thing is feeding your children when you've had problems or a problematic relationship (laughs) with food um just going back because obviously you had a very severe experience and it must have been absolutely terrifying being hospitalized did that experience affect your chances of getting pregnant did it affect your fertility in any way because often periods stop I know mine did for quite a long time when I was below weight yeah so I hadn't had one since I was 15 which is why I think again getting pregnant was so unexpected because yeah we weren't we weren't 100% sure what was happening I think that's the thing isn't it for me the pregnancy and being able to have kids was a huge motivator in my recovery so it was something that I knew I had to keep working towards and I think actually kind of on that linking kind of I guess to periods and kind of your hormones as well is we are seeing so many young women nowadays and older women too who are not having periods because they're exercising too much and we've kind of normalized that or we think that it's okay when actually in those situations again even if they haven't been diagnosed with a full-blown eating disorder there's still some sort of issue around your health there and for me, it was always a question of actually, what does healthy mean to me? Is it a look or is it like actually my body functioning in the right way? Yeah. And did you have an issue with excessive exercise yourself along with the disordered eating? Yeah. So it was a massive part of my illness, actually. So over the kind of four years when I was yeah first unwell and then when I relapsed back in 2016, Um, again became a bit of an issue and I think actually interestingly that's probably been one of the hardest things with pregnancy is I I really enjoy my running and it gives me headspace and it gets me out of the house but actually like I'm sure you know when you're pregnant you can't do as much of this stuff and it starts to get uncomfortable and you have to sit with again all of those feelings of uncertainty and like for me a big thing's been kind of asking myself a lot of the time like, am I exercising because I want to do it? Or am I doing it because I feel I have to? Am I doing it to numb emotions? And trying to understand that a lot more. That must be so exhausting, constantly questioning every thought process. You know, mm. I, I know <laughs> if, if anybody's been through CBT, that's how you stop those negative thoughts and emotions kind of in their tracks. But it is exhausting. And that must be so incredibly hard for you as well when you know, you use exercise as a release to release tension and to keep emotions in balance and then not being able to do your supposedly healthier, you know, if done not to excess, it's a it's a very healthy pastime running. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? When you're we're told to exercise like certain amounts every week and yeah, when you then can't do the thing that helps you manage that or gives you that thinking space. Um, yeah, it does get kind of slightly more complicated. I've definitely had to learn to deal with that, I think, over the last couple of months and have probably spent a lot more time journaling to try and manage my emotions. I think it does have it does have the same effects. It just has it slightly differently. And I don't think you get the same rush of endorphins. But then in the long run, it's it's better to have all of those other coping mechanisms, isn't it? Even though it feels uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it seems like you've, you've had to do a hell of a lot of work alongside coping with the pandemic 
alongside being pregnant as a first time mum, you must be absolutely exhausted and, and doing all the campaigning work that you're doing because you've been so incredibly busy with the change to the story campaign. How's that been going? I think I guess my I guess just quickly kind of on your on the comment about yeah kind of dealing with stuff I think whether you've had an eating disorder or not nothing can set you up for dealing with pregnancy and for everyone it's so different isn't it I'll be fine when the baby's here like I'll have two weeks and when my husband's on paternity and then like I'll get into a routine and my older sister's always like lower your expectations <laughs> it probably won't work that quickly you'll probably feel really awful for a bit like the baby will cry a lot so I think it's 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 hard I think nothing can set you up for that. and even a year in hospital can't set me up for dealing with this it's definitely interesting I think to some extent and it makes yeah I guess it makes me realize actually like I need to have a lot more coping mechanisms up my sleeve than the ones that maybe I had beforehand um, and I think one of my ways of dealing with stuff which arguably to some respects isn't always the healthiest way to deal with things and I do think it'll be interesting to see how this plays out when I've had a baby but from a work perspective actually a lot of my campaigning I absolutely love it and it really helps me to kind of stay well and helps to motivate me and things like that and kind of yeah I really believe in it and think that people who've been through something firsthand I guess like you do with your podcast it's like actually we're in such a great position to then try and influence change and to really help others who might also be struggling but yeah I guess yeah in answer to your actual question the campaign is going well we launched last Wednesday in parliament and there's a 12-month kind of plan with working closely with Instagram to kind of tackle various topics every single month over the next 12 months amazing that's such a big win yeah yeah hopefully and yeah I'm like we'll have to see how it goes and but I think for me it was really important to make sure it wasn't just a one-off thing particularly because we launched an eating disorder awareness week and although awareness weeks are really important I think again it's like quite often we have that conversation and then it kind of just stops so I'm trying to yeah kind of keep that going and I guess from an educational perspective, kind of educating society on things, but then from a broader perspective, making sure that, yeah, we're also educating like the government on it and actually making that kind of concrete policy change too. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's so needed. Um, I'm really sorry, my internet dropped out just as you were talking about how you're going to feel when the baby's here. Do you mind picking up on that again? Yeah, so so I guess, yes, yeah, so I guess for me, I'm 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 convinced that when the baby's here, everything will be fine and it will sleep and it'll be this happy, clappy time. Um, but I also think what a lot of people have said to me is actually about lowering my expectations during that. And I think not putting so much pressure on myself for things to be perfect, because that's probably not going to be the reality of it. And um, so I'm trying to pace myself a little bit more with it. Um, and actually set myself up so that yeah so that it isn't as pressurized and so I'm not trying to be this kind of perfect parent with everything going really well all the time yes that does not exist my god (laughs) it does not exist and that that is the thing you know you can be as prepared as as you can be to meet your baby you can have done all your NCT classes you can have read books but when you get that little bundle of joy home it is it's just chaos mm. <laughs> you know everything sort of goes out of control so um 
it's embracing that rather than trying to fight against it yeah I mean, that and, makes sense. and I'm sure you will be doing just the most incredible job you know and, and I can't wait to to sort of chat to you on the flip side when you've met your baby yeah it's exciting I think yeah so what, <laughs> when's your due date 22nd of June oh fabulous yeah summer baby yeah which I'm really pleased about actually that's brilliant. I think it will make things easy. Well, I, yeah, I'm like, it will make things easier. I don't know whether it will, but I feel like it will be sunny outside, hopefully. My son's a summer baby as well. And I do think, you know, because you're able to go to the park a lot and you have the excuse to get out of the house, which is really yeah. important. And just even navigating changing nappies you can do that in the park really easily (laughs) you know it's not freezing you don't have to take multiple layers off and everything's just I don't know I I certainly find it easier when the sun's shining and there's flowers out so um oh well please keep in touch let's know how you're getting on and I really really appreciate you taking time from your very busy schedule to chat to us today um if anybody wants to know more about the change the story campaign and the dump the scales campaigns how would they get in touch with you uh so the best place is probably my instagram which is just hope virgo underscore so on that I have yeah, a lot of updates on the campaigning, um, but also kind of other eating disorder tips and advice and some stuff on pregnancy and eating disorders as well. And I always say I try and go back to everyone who's messaged me on there, um, even if it takes a little bit of time. So if you do message me, like, or if anything has come up and you want to ask anything about our conversation today, please do feel free to kind of yeah get in touch that way as well. Thank you. And any final message to somebody who's perhaps having a hard time either navigating during their pregnancy or in that postnatal period who are really struggling with disordered eating what would you say to them I guess firstly remember to not lose hope that you can fully recover I know it's it's really really difficult and it's really challenging and it feels relentless and horrible at times but kind of hold on to that full recovery as possible because it 100% is And I think also kind of finding a way to communicate with people around you what's going on, which can feel really, really difficult. But with eating disorders and disordered eating and exercise addiction, if we're not communicating, then all of those behaviors kind of start to suck us back in and pull us back in, giving us that false sense of security. So find someone that you can talk to. And for me, it's normally easier to send an email or send a text first kind of explaining how I'm feeling and then doing a bit of a follow-up afterwards but yeah and I think remembering your worth in all of this like making sure that you know that you deserve to have support that you deserve to yeah have people around you who care about you so surrounding yourself with those people as well and finally sorry this is not four things um making sure I think that you're flooding yourself with the right content and the right stuff as well I know a lot of us spend far too long on things like social media and even watching the TV, but just making sure actually we're giving ourselves what we need in those moments. Oh, that's absolutely beautiful advice. And yeah, you brought me to tears. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I always blob in every episode. There's always a bit where I'm like, that's it, you've got me and you, you've got me now. So thank <laughs> you so much, Hope. And good luck with everything. Thanks. And you take good care of yourself. Let us know how you get on. No, Woody, thank you you so much. If you've enjoyed this episode of Blue Mondays, please like and subscribe. It really does make the difference in helping other people find it. And that means helping more parents. Thank you.